Welcome to Establish the Edge. I am your host, Mike Leone. Today, we are bringing you the audio version of a live stream that Adam Levitan, Justin Herzig, and I did earlier today in which we reviewed our Discord member of the month, Funkyton's Best Ball Underdog Mania Tournament team. You can view the full video up at Establish the Run's YouTube page, or you can listen to the audio version here. Hello and welcome back to the official EstablishTheRun.com YouTube channel. I am Adam Levitan. Today I am joined by two of the game's premier best ball players. It is Mike Leone, soulless spreadsheet man, director of analytics at ETR. It is Justin Herzig, co-founder at Own the Moment, winner, outright winner of the 2020 underdog best ball championship for 200K. On today's show, we will be reviewing the draft of a subscriber, what he did well, mistakes he made, things we would have done differently, things we found interesting, and not just any subscriber, by the way, the subscriber who won the May Discord member of the month by contributing in a hugely positive way to our community there. Good morning, Leone. How's it going? It's going well. I like being lumped in with Justin, who won 200K, and I didn't win anything last year. So it's it's a good grouping. I like that. Mm-hmm. It pops me up. Yeah, it's like after busting out of a poker tournament and then watching the rest of the tournament on TV, and you see everybody just chopping up your money, who's in the money. Herzig, good morning, buddy. How's it going? I mean, it's even better when Leone finds out, like, oh, yeah, and Justin was using strategies that Leone was doing last year, and, like, <laughs> still, I'm the one. Gosh, like, cruel, cruel world. <laughs> Uh, okay, before we get into it, two things here. First, congrats to Funky Ton. You see his team there, number one. Congrats to Funky Ton, who has been really active in the Discord, progressing the conversation in a positive way. As we said, glad we could reward him here as the member of the month. He also got some ETR swag, some more stuff coming his way. If you have an ETR subscription of any kind, you have access to the Discord. Be sure you get in there. Second, the draft we are reviewing today was held on Underdog Fantasy, Underdog Best Ball, Best Platform for best ball aka draft only fantasy if you're like me and you can't face season long and waivers and managing teams when you're trying to play dfs best ball really is the stones if you have uh the etr draft kit or the bundle you get up to 35 dollars credit on underdog head to the site for details on that all right let's get into it here round one again our subscriber is funky ton he drew the number one spot here hashtag how rich i guess before we get into it here, I'm curious if you guys have a preferred draft spot so far as we've been doing drafts. I, I think one is actually a really good spot. And me and Leone did a review of one of my drafts where I drafted from two, but it was a similar type of deal. I had similar kind of decisions. But Herzig, have you noticed a preferred draft spot to land so far? Yeah, it's hard to leave your draft feeling bad when you've got that one spot. And uh, even though like... Well, two years ago, Christian McCaffrey finished 60, 70, 80 points above like the number two running back. And I think he had a best ball win rate of something in the 30 to 40%. Like it was that insane. And I don't think any of us expect that again this year, but a combination of just knowing that you have him and like, you know, Dalvin's not too far behind or something, but having him at the top of the draft and then how the rest of that kind of falls because other people are chasing for their running backs it leaves with a really nice roster construction. And then you're mostly just playing that game of, let me hope that I can find a second running back. Yeah. Leone, what do you think about where you'd like to draft early on this, uh, this drafting season? 
Yeah, it's the one. The McCaffrey edge combined at the two three turn, you have so many options. There's usually elite tight end that you can choose from. If all the running backs that you would want to use in a hyper fragile build go, that means you've got elite wide receivers to double up on, which Funky Ten did. You know, sometimes if Antonio Gibson lasts, I'll take him. Now that Swift and Miles Sanders, like we've cooled on them a little bit, I'm probably not taking them at the two three turn. But sometimes Clyde Edwards Alaire is there. I don't mind him. Um, so you can just you can just build in so many different ways, and you have a pretty big edge. Yeah, no brainer for us to take Christian McCaffrey first. I did want to make a couple comments about the first round here because things are changing. Saquon Barkley, you know, Jordan Ronan came on the show and talked about how Saquon could be eased in. The team does, it has a long-term commitment to him from a marketing perspective, at least. They want to sign him to a second contract. They don't want to run him into the ground. It's a 17-game season. He had a very serious knee injury. We've seen Saquon slip. I've seen Saquon slip even further than pick five here. Herzig, how are you handling Saquon at this point uh, right now with all that kind of injury? Uh, and by the way, I want to be clear. This is the best ball mania, a.k.a. top heavy, a.k.a. playoffs, a.k.a. you need to be winning in weeks 15, 16, 17 to get the money. And so maybe Saquon being limited, if he is, in weeks one, two, three, four, isn't that big a deal. But anyways, Herzig, how are you thinking about Saquon? Yeah, I've definitely dropped in the back of this tier, um, but I'm still getting him above that kind of next Zeke and Jonathan Taylor. And so I put Zeke ahead of Jonathan Taylor uh, just from a, knowing that I'm getting the workload aspect there. Uh, yeah, that comes to that level of risk. But once again, we don't want to be playing for the floor outcomes. We don't want to be playing for those averages. And yes, it's possible. Like I think more likely he still comes in week one. He maybe has that little lighter of a workload. Um, but the Giants have never been a team that also want to have this split workload. So once they have them healthy, once they run it up and like they've invested in this team, they, whether or not they're right, they think this team is a contender. Um, and definitely that offense, if it's clicking, if Daniel Jones is hashtag not bad, uh, this team may actually be decent from an offensive standpoint. And I think they're going to let him, you know, once he's healthy, um, it's going. So, yeah. Uh, we're going to talk about a lot of macro concepts today. Leonie, a micro thing that I noticed right off the bat, I mean, Kamara over Dalvin Cook to me is not something that I would do. I think there's just enough quarterback questions around Alvin Kamara who's so reliant on the pass catching game that I there's just no way I would take Kamara over Dalvin or the big dog. What do you think about Kamara going second here? Yeah, I, I would never do that. I would always go Dalvin second. I was actually kind of tilted last offseason. Our projections like absolutely loved Dalvin, and then we kind of – backed off a little bit because there was like the holdout risk we tried to bake that in but you know just based on his workload his talent you know we sort of had him as the number two pick last year if there weren't any holdout concerns and then he performed exactly how we had hoped he would perform so uh, it just seems like can we call fps adam a little fancy play syndrome to put kamara over cook you know just given the question marks with kamara there even if breeze was around i'd probably be taking cook right. over Kamara. Yeah. And I mean, we know Latavius is going to play plenty, just like we know AJ Dillon's going to play penny plenty. And so, yeah, I think there's just a lot of question marks around Kamara, at least relative to Dalvin and Henry, maybe even Saquon. Any other first round comments before we move on here to some more interesting macro stuff? Yep. I um, would not take Tyreek Hill. If I, if I was going non running back in the eight spot, it would be Kelsey, not Hill mm -hmm. just structurally. I agree. Um, and this just goes back to where far it's far easier to kind of make up for that wide receiver position with quantity over that kind of high end quality. Um, you'd rather kind of say, Hey, give me Kelsey. I'm locked into two, 
tight end positions. I've got an extra roster spot later on, and I'll make up for that lack of a high end wide receiver. Uh, or in that second comeback, you know, with that Tyreek Hill instead of going, I guess Joe Mixon's great value there. Um, but you could also grab your second wide receiver there or something. I am curious, Justin, your thoughts on Devontae Adams and Aaron Jones. They went, I don't know, in okay spots here, but I've seen them start to drop a ton um, to the point where I got like a Cook Adams team. And I know early on in the offseason, you said, you know, the upside wasn't really worth the risk. But as Jones and Adams start to drop into late two, you know, are you taking any swings at those guys? Yeah, I, mean, I still love Aaron Jones. Um, I actually, I think his ADP is 15 right now. Um, getting him the two seven spot right there. Um, I think that's 19th pick overall. I think that's great value. Um, I even if there's no Rodgers, Aaron Jones doesn't scare me that much. Like his upside, I think, is capped, but he then probably just increases his role in the offense. Um, right. Devontae Adams, I think, is higher correlated from a negative standpoint. If there's no Rodgers, and that's where I'm still scared. Uh, from a wide receiver position, I have started taking Calvin ahead of Devante, um, and then I also because I'm I'm more uh, I'm more inclined to also draft an Atlanta stack rather than the current heads up, you know, just iffy on the Rodgers. Um, but I'll probably still be grabbing Devante in late second. All right, let's go back to Funky Tom's team. He's back on the clock here at two point one two. George Kittle is on the board. And so I, I love his wide receiver picks here from a micro perspective. If I'm going to go wide receiver, wide receiver, these are the two that I would have taken. I think the big question for me, Leone, is do you go tight end here from a structural perspective? Waller is gone, which stinks. I, I, I prefer Waller to Kittle, but you still have an opportunity to take Kittle to knock out the tight end spot and still get one of these wide receivers. Do you think Funky made a mistake here by not going Kittle, or do you like going wide receiver, wide receiver? I usually would go Kittle here and get that elite tight end. Uh, then you have McCaffrey, Kittle. You have two positions where like, you can really go wide receiver heavy drafting after that because you kind of are assuming McCaffrey's score is going to count all year long. You're assuming Kittle's score is going to count all year long, and you can start to load up on quantity at the receiver position. So I usually go Kittle. I don't think it's terrible to take Metcalf and Justin Jefferson. These are two super elite wide receivers. It's also sometimes it's hard to know what he was thinking, but process wise, things turned out pretty well with him where he was able to stack Jefferson, who's the pick I probably wouldn't have taken. I probably would have taken Kittle over Jefferson. And then he was able to get pits anyways to still kind of get that elite tight end build. So it worked out really, really well. But if I'm on the clock of the two, three turn and, and one of Waller or Kittle's there, I usually take one of those guys with the elite wide receiver. Yeah, Justin, from a structural perspective, I know you're big on elite tight ends. Would you have taken Kittle here also ahead of Justin Jefferson? Yeah, and what I think is interesting is, and this is the first time I've really seen this, and I think it's because stacking has become so just ingrained in everyone, that stacking is actually influencing our ADP. And what I mean by that is players early on where they're often falling, so like the DK Mack at the Justin Jefferson, or I think your EDP is of 24, 25, as we can see right here, 23, 25. And it sets up that the rest of the draft, it kind of falls into place. And I don't have it written here, mm -hmm. but George Kittle, if you draft a George Kittle, you can then get Trey Lance. His ADP right now is 119.5. So he slots into that 120 spot perfectly. And so whether that's a result of a lot of people are drafting George Kittle at the turn, and then they're then grabbing that Trey Lance later on to force that stack, but the ADP does align. And so 
I'm agreeing with Leone here that like in my drafts, I'm more prioritizing grabbing that elite tight end. But it also allows you that when you go into these drafts at various draft slots, and especially at the turns where you have a bit more control over your stacks because there's no one in between, uh, you can set yourself up for some of these stacks. So if we look on the screen, we call this the Seaman stack with the Seattle and Minnesota. Um, I know yeah, how you guys like that. Um, you can see you can actually grab Adam Thiel and his three pass catchers, Russ Wilson, his two pass catchers. And at no point are you ever reaching more than three picks. And at no point are you ever not expecting that player to kind of 50% of the time fall to you. And as we go through this draft, we can see, um, you know, our hero here, he did a great job at grabbing almost all of these. I think the one he passed on is the Adam Thielen. And we can look, look at that, you know, him grabbing the tight end as well and how that fits in. Um, and then if you really want to get the galaxy brain, if you could grab Dalvin Cook at the one, you could really just own this semen stack. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like it for sure. Let's go back to the draft board. Leonie, I had a question about the Tyreek Hill team. You see what happens when you take Tyreek Hill at eight. You're almost obligated or you feel forced to take Patrick Mahomes at 3.8. And for me, taking a quarterback at 3.8 when Russ goes in round seven or Lamar and Kyler go in round five seems really bad. So let's say you did start. Justin with Tyreek Hill at eight. Are you also forcing Patrick Mahomes here at 3.8 or are you just giving up too much value and you would have been fine with Tyreek Hill naked or something like that? I mean, yeah, if you're, if you're reaching on Tyreek that much, then you're basically saying, I don't know. I think you've got to go for that construction and grab Mahomes, but that's where you can grab, you know, if, if you, I'd rather take the portfolio approach because with the portfolio approach, you could grab Kelsey in that eight and, I don't know, 10, 20% of the time, Tyreek might come back around there. And then when you've definitely got the Tyreek Kelsey start, now you go Mahomes. Now you've got the number one guy at three positions, which is insane. And you just find a way to kind of play that zero RB later on. Um, but, you know, it just comes down to, I just don't want to grab that Tyreek and force myself in that position. Yeah. yeah. I did a draft where I took Kelsey, I think, at eight and... I passed on Mahomes in the third. It was a, a stream with Norris, Josh Norris of Underdog Fantasy, and we ended up taking Mahomes in the fourth. And I, I still didn't feel great about it because I feel like the Mahomes play, like you're paying so much for safety in a tournament. Like I don't know if he's necessarily ceiling-wise that much better than the guys that go 5-6 in, in Dak, Kyler, Josh Allen. He's just, you're paying for the safety. And then we ended up in a situation where we could have stacked like CD Lamb and Dak at like four or six. Like, so even getting Mahomes at a big discount in four, it was iffy. So, uh, yeah, that's tough. I, I get it from a tournament standpoint where, like, if it just happens that Mahomes, the guy in the, in the tournament rounds, 15 to 17, like just based on randomness, you know, it, it might work out for you, but I don't really like to play that way. Okay. And, and three eight is reaching on Mahomes as well because his ADP is right. at 35.6. So not only are you having to gra grab, grab that QB that we think is already ahead, you're also reaching for him. That just yeah. puts it in tough position. And I, and I think Lamar Jackson outscores Mahomes a lot of the time this year, like a lot of the time. Right. So, I mean, and that's two rounds later. Okay, let's go back to our heroes team. So we get back to the four five turn and now we have an opportunity to pair DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett. Let's talk about double stacks for a second here, Leone. How often are you trying to double stack in this specific format? We've talked about in DFS how single stacks can work really well in things like the Millie Maker because you can't have these games. Well, it's more likely 
that you have one player go off and you can't take a mad performance. I think in best ball, it's different where you can accept a mad performance. And in the event that Russ Wilson goes ham, well, now you have both of them. The other concern with taking a double here is you may not get Russ Wilson. Like we'll see, he passes on Russ Wilson at four or five. There was a good chance that Russ Wilson wasn't going to get back. So what do you think about the whole idea of double stacking in this specific format? I like double stacking. I think, especially in concentrated offenses, this is not 100% backed by math, but I think it's correct. Like the way the distributions work out in these concentrated offenses is the weeks where the offenses really roll and put up a high score. You know, you've got the upside of using both guys as scores. We saw that with Seattle last year. But the other weeks, because it's so concentrated, the weeks where it's like variant and it's like Metcalf getting 35% and Lockett getting 15% you're going to use Metcalf score each week. Like, so there's a really good odds in a concentration offense when you got both pieces that you're using at least one of the receiver's scores each week. So I kind of like the way that helps with your distributions. But again, that's that's a little bit field-based. I haven't actually like researched that versus two non-correlated yeah. receivers. I'll also say this from a micro perspective on Seattle. I mean, there's a lot of talk that from Shane Waldron and coming out of Seattle, they are going to try to play way, way, way faster. And they were in the bottom third of the league in neutral pace. They were in the bottom third of the league in plays per game last year. We saw in the second half of the year, they especially got dragged down. I think Shane Waldron is going to come in there and do some different things to get the ball out quicker, make them play faster. And Tyler Lockett, I think also as he fell off last year, like he was atrocious in the last half of the year last year. I think a lot had to do with the knee injury. They gave him a big contract. They obviously feel good about it. So from a micro perspective, I'm fine with the pick too. Then Justin, he comes back with Kyle Pitts. Now, he passed on George Kittle, but he did get Kyle Pitts in round five. You know, I would have laughed at this when Julio was there. Now that Julio is gone, I actually think it's reasonable value for Kyle Pitts at 5.1. I'm not sure exactly where his ADP has shook out. I know some people take him very high. I've seen him go later. I think it's a bit more variant than a lot of other players. What do you think about going Pitts here at 5.1? Yeah, so his ADP is 47, so it fits right into that spot. Um, you're definitely not giving up value by grabbing him. Um, I think for me, it just comes into a roster construction standpoint. I'm always happy grabbing one of those first tight ends, so it's hard for me to dislike this too much. Um, but I think that's where it goes back to, though. Like, hey, if you do have a plan here and you grab that Justin Jefferson, I think I would have rather seen, like, hey, let me grab that Adam Thielen that went five picks later. Because now you're really setting yourself up for – and you think about like the buys are lineup. Your Russ and Kirk, that's a good combo of QBs where you get your high upside guy and you're not spending too much draft capital later on. And uh, both of those are highly concentrated passing offenses with upside from a season long standpoint. Uh, so in a vacuum, I don't mind Kyle Pitts. I'm drafting a bunch of Kyle Pitts. I think he has that upside. For this team, I think I would have rather said, hey, take the Adam Thielen and really just hammer those two team stacks. Okay, if you do that, though, you're going to be in trouble. Not trouble, but you're going to be thinner at tight end. I know you like to take elite tight ends so that you're not wasting roster spot, a.k.a. going three tight ends. If you pass on pits there, do you think you end up taking three tight ends and churning up one of those extra roster spots? Yeah, so I think it would depend on what happens in um, the eight, nine picks because you're still grabbing Russ in that next one, um, and it really comes down to can I end up grabbing two of those kind of Logan Thomas, Tyler Higby, Noah Fant uh, in that range, or you say you're getting Irv Smith. And then once I'm telling myself I'm getting Irv Smith for that Minnesota, I'm grabbing three uh, tight ends and just accepting that. Mm -hmm. Okay. So there is risk here when you pass on Russ Wilson at the four or five turn, because what happens if you have DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett and someone takes Russ Wilson? Now in these underdog drafts, I think a lot of people are really thoughtful 
And so they're not reaching for Russ if they don't have DK Metcalf or Tyler Lockett. In other words, it's more likely that Russ gets back to you once you've already taken DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett. But how sick would you be, Leone, if you did take Metcalf and Lockett and then you didn't end up with Russ Wilson? I mean, would you just be on massive till and just torch this team and say it's not worth anything? I think people overrate, you know, they if you don't get that quarterback, it's not the end of the world, I guess is what I would say. You know, you've still got two pass catchers and a very concentrated offense. Obviously, you would love to tie that with a very high upside quarterback, but it's not like the stack of Metcalf and Lockett can't work out even if you don't have Russ. There's a lot of options at quarterback. Justin's written about the high upside rookie quarterbacks. I mean, you can sneak one in there who has rushing upside and maybe you don't need the correlation as much with Trey Lance and Justin Fields where you know, you're still benefiting if the Seattle offense is fast paced, pass heavier than we think, and Metcalf and Lockett go off. And then maybe you match or come close on the rush score with your combination of rushing quarterback and the Minnesota stack. So, I mean, I'm absolutely taking Russ at seven when he falls for the correlation, but I'm, you know, I'm not reaching on him at five one. You know, I don't think he's in play there. I think that's way too early. I'm taking Pitts or Adam Thielen. I think we're the clear two choices. I'm pretty much fine with either one of those. Interested if Justin feels differently, but I do think the quarterback's almost like the least important part of the stack in a way, just given how quarterback scores work. Yeah, let me do, let me do a quick little shill. Um, I think later today we're going to have an article published on ETR uh, that are the five best ball mistakes that I'm seeing in early drafts. And one of those is specifically around this subject and the idea of kind of overreaching on your stacks and definitely heavily around the quarterback position because you've both touched on two of the things. Uh, one, we have Leone's analysis from a little while back that showed like, hey, if you're actually reaching for stacks, and I think it's something around if you're reaching more than two rounds in total for your stack, like it's almost worth just not stacking. Uh, so there, we, we're, we'd be reaching two rounds for that Russ. Uh, next, we have hey, there's less likely that someone's going to be drafting Russ, as you were saying, Adam, because at the end of the day, no one else has a Seattle pass catcher this early in the draft. So, you know, yes, there's some people who are just going to go naked Russ for whatever reason, but for the most part, you've got the two pass catchers that have already been drafted. Okay, he's likely going to fall to you. And the third is, if you do miss on that quarterback, that's okay because you're still getting a stack. You're still getting a level of correlation on that team and betting on the passing offense. And quarterback is the most replaceable position on a week-by-week -week points. So, you know, it's not like you're missing out on that big opportunity because even if you think of week 17 in the championship, Russ could still have a great game. Uh, Lockett and DK each put up 20 points and Russ maybe puts up a 30 spot. You can still get that 30 spot or at least 25 by just having another quarterback. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, when you scroll over to team uh, uh, six real quick, Leone, they don't take a wide receiver until round six. And so I believe that's right, right? Yeah, that is. Yes. A four and one. Yeah, okay. So what do you guys think of all this construction as as kind of more and more of this anchor RB strategy of, the, I forget what you were calling it, Leone, but where you take one running back and then you don't take another one for a while and everybody's going wide receiver heavy in these drafts. And I think these drafts are a bit sharper. What do you think about going contrarian Herzig and being like, you know what? Screw it. I'm not going to start taking wide receivers. I'm just going to pound quarterback, running back, tight end. And this guy didn't take tight end, I don't believe. But doing something like that and being like, I'm going to just stack up all my wide receivers later. Is that zagging when everyone else is zigging? Is that a viable strategy? 
It just got taken a little too far. Uh, the Dave Montgomery is the pick I'm not happy with. If you went Taylor Jones Swift, I'm sure I've done that same thing in my drafts already. But the problem is with your fourth round pick, you are drafting a player that you know you are locking yourself in each week that one of those first four spots will not be in your roster. Like you're literally devoting a fourth yep. round draft capital to a dead spot in your roster. Now, what I'd rather see is, and you're locking yourself into four running backs and removing the opportunity to get running back value later in the draft. Say Ronald Jones falls to you in like the 12th or something silly. You literally have to be like, well, I can't take advantage of this. So, you know, in that situation, give me the Godwin in that spot. Or I guess I'm trying to think backwards. So maybe it's not Godwin. Whoever would it's be the Godwin. Next. Yeah, he could have taken Godwin. Okay, so Godwin. Uh, and then continue down the draft. And I and I love it. Um, but not with the fourth one. And we already we know how we feel about Dave Montgomery if he is anyways. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's just it's just Leone that it seems everybody is not everybody, but thoughtful people are executing kind of a similar strategy here. And I feel like there's gotta be room to do something different from a construction basis. Yeah, I actually think people are doing the RB heavy strategy a bit more. I don't know. It, it, it kind of seems with Justin and I talking about it a lot. We see a lot of four running back teams with running back early. And then kind of the what's tough with that sometimes is the receivers at the very end aren't as strong, I feel like, as they were last year. I want to get Justin's take on that, though. Maybe that's just because time of year and the way my, my brain is perceiving these options, and they really aren't that bad. But he makes tons of mistakes, like not, not only the Montgomery pick, which I 100% agree should have been Godwin, but this David, like you got to stop at four if you're going to do that. And he takes David Johnson, that has to be a wide receiver. Mm-hmm. And then he takes a third quarterback when he took Lamar early. So, And it's a three tight end team. So if you're going to do this, you need nine to ten receivers. And he ends up with, I think – one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Like you're dead. You're dead in the you're dead on arrival if you're only taking seven wide receivers and you're gonna start running back heavy like that. Yes. Of course, that is not our hero funky tons team. Nobody who was subscriber to our draft or <laughs> whatever drafted team like that. Okay. Let's get to rounds eight and nine. Now Funky Ton only has one running back through seven rounds, which I think we're mostly okay with, but you have to get busy here. And I think one thing about executing strategy is what I was just saying. If people are going, uh, uh, well, people are more people are doing this kind of strategy, then they end up reaching for some of these trendy running backs. And so you could have gotten Javante Williams maybe two or three weeks ago in this fight. You could have gotten Trey Sermon. Maybe you could have gotten Chase Edmonds, Damian Harris. Those guys are rising in ADP as they kind of get some more hype and people try to execute this strategy more. So Funky Ton has to settle here for Zach Moss and James Connor in rounds eight and nine. And obviously I would have loved it way more if it was one of those running backs that I mentioned before, Javante Sermon, Chase Edmonds, Damian Harris, some of those guys, but settling for Zach Moss and James Connor, you know, I, I don't, I'm fine with both those guys. I think they're fine picks. I'm certainly not excited about either one of them. So Justin, what do you think about, when you get back to it here and you're like, well, shit, I need a running back badly. Well, I think you touched on it. DJ Chark was the pick that shouldn't have happened. Uh, DJ Chark is where I think we need to start looking for that running back. Um, because we know that we're pretty strong on wide receiver with those three guys up top. Um, and if you miss out on that running back now, like that round seven range of running backs are the guys that definitely have risk, but also have that kind of RB1 upside. Uh, we miss out on that RB1 upside once we start getting into that Moss-Connor range. Uh, So I think that's where I would have tweaked a little and said, hey, let me grab that running back a little earlier. Um, And But if not, when I then look at it, 
Uh, my thought here is, and this is another point in the article that we talked about complementary running backs, is I have Christian McCaffrey. My goal is not to identify floor anymore. My goal is now to find a guy that I'm going to get lucky on. He's going to hit and he's going to be an RB, you know, RB1, RB2 the rest of the season. Um, do you think Zach Moss and James Conner have that ability? I guess so. I don't have a strong argument against. We know the Bills want to use Zach Moss. We know he's been getting more of that kind of green zone work. Uh, James Conner, there's some similar stats out there around like the Cardinals just do not want to use Chase Edmonds in the red zone at the goal line. So maybe Conner does have that opportunity to get that kind of more valuable work. Um, so I, I don't hate him. Um, I think it was, I'm glad they grabbed two running backs here because at this point you need to start kind of hoping to hit. Yeah. My problem with Zach Moss is that, yeah, the goal line opportunity, I think would be there for him if Josh Allen was not the quarterback. And so you lose so yeah. many goal line carries to Josh Allen there. Leonie, what do you think about how it ended up here for, for funky time with running back, running back at eight, nine? Yeah, I think I, I've been playing a little riskier on the RBs than Justin. So like I was okay with the chart pick. I mean, I guess you, Javante, there's a pretty good price tag on Javante and I might've gone Javante, but after that, it's like maybe Mostert. Um, here at eight, nine, though, I do agree with Justin, you know, you've got McCaffrey tied into one spot. You're banking on him having a McCaffrey season. Like, let me mix one of Moss and Connor with Pollard, you know, Tony Pollard goes later. He's someone I think has that really elite upside. If something happens to Ezekiel Elliott and you have room to, you like, like basically if his team just he also ends up taking a couple more like flourish type running backs later in Hines and Edwards. So I would just love if one of Moss or Connor was replaced with Pollard, I probably would have gone Pollard and Connor at this mm -hmm. turn. And even Fernet, like, I don't know, I don't know what to do with Fernet. I'm worried that Bernard takes the pass catching role that made Fernet viable, but I mean, we did see a ceiling for him, uh, you know, the entire playoff stretch for Leonard Fernet last season. So I might have mixed him in ahead of Moss too, where like Fournette might be a little bit more floor ceiling combo depending on how you feel about the Ronald Jones and Joe Bernard roles. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing about the Bucks situation. If Gio Bernard actually plays a majority of third down snaps, I mean, Fournette and Ronald Jones sharing early down stuff is not going to be pretty. I mean, it's just not enough. But I don't think that Gio Bernard is really that much better on pass downs than Lenny was. And they won the Super Bowl with Lenny playing the pass down role. So, I, yeah, I think Lenny over Zach Moss probably would have been it uh, for me there. Let's keep going. So we have Justin Jefferson. We don't have Kirk Cousins yet, but we can set it up by taking Irv Smith here. We did use a pretty high pick on Kyle Pitts here, though, fifth round. What do you think about coming back with Irv Smith? in the 10th round, Justin, with stacking in mind, I presume. Yep, 100%. Uh, he's a good complimentary tight end to your Kyle Pitts that locks you into only needing two of them there. Um, from an ADP, you're not really reaching. It just kind of slots into that spot. And uh, I don't mind having, I actually prefer, I like having three pass catchers. Or actually, oh, he didn't get the one. Still, even if it was three, I'm happy getting you know, that second pass catcher, third pass catcher for your stack. Um, and once again, his risk in the Kirk Cousins is maybe that person who grabbed Thielen might grab for the stack. Other than that, you've now got two of the three core pass catchers. Good chance you're going to have Cousins fall into you in that later round. One of the things I wanted to mention, I know there's been a lot of buzz around Tyler Conklin. Tyler Conklin actually, I believe, had the same amount of targets or maybe a slightly more than Irv Smith did when Kyle Rudolph was out last year. I think Tyler Conklin can play, but to suggest that Irv Smith's role won't rise, I think 
is pretty silly. That said, yeah, you know, Tyler Conklin's going to be out there. He's going to play. I, I think Irv Smith in the 10th round is fine value, but he's kind of not in that same tier as the guys Justin mentioned before for me, which is the Higby, Logan Thomas types. Leone, what do you think about the turn here for Funky Ton, Irv, and Gus Edwards? Yeah, I think this was a fine turn. You know, you add to the running back group, uh, you set up this double stack with Irv Smith and, you know, Kyle Pitts is an early tight end pick, but it's not like he's a, a top three round pick, you know, he's a fifth round pick. So there's some room where you're probably not using his score every single week. You can cover that with some upside from Irv. So, uh, yeah, I, I'm fine with this turn. I guess I would say too, again, with the upside running back conversation that, I might have leaned Daryl Henderson or Latavius Murray, who I think have a little bit more contingent value if something happens to the backs in front of them. Like Gus Edwards is probably Gus Edwards, even if J.K. Dobbins goes down. Like maybe he has some more rush attempts, but he's not becoming a workhorse. Whereas Daryl Henderson, if uh, Cam Akers goes down, is basically a you know a, a top two round pick, right? Like it's going to be all Daryl Henderson. So I probably would have swung on the upside, knowing I went Boss and Connor. Uh, at the eight, nine turn. And then like, not to jump too far ahead, but 12, 13, like I think the Heinz pick started to get overkill where he made up these running back picks, but essentially he's got three running backs for one running back spot because McCaffrey spots taken care of, except for the bye week and maybe like a couple weeks for injury. And I think at the end of drafts, there's like some running backs that are acceptable where if I was taking a fifth running back in this build, I would have rather had that come at the end of the draft and been able to take a better wide receiver here. As we see, like the receivers, I don't know, they just get tough at, to take all, you know, to take four receivers at the five receivers at the very end. I think he would have done himself, uh, you know, added some more upside if he took like Paris Campbell, you know, Naheem Hines' teammate over uh, Naheem Hines with the 12 13 turn. Yeah. Justin, go ahead on, on the Naheem Hines pick here. Are you done at running back here If you once you take Connor, uh, Zach Moss, and Edwards, or do you still think there's another running back to be had, maybe not in the 12th round, but maybe later? For me, it would probably come down to that 17th, 18th, and just make a last-minute decision on is there, a, you know, is there a Rashad Penny that fell all the way to the 17th? There's someone that I like, um, but definitely not doing it at the 12th. You're giving up too much value for – you know, yes, we spent a lot of capital early on a wide receiver, but now we haven't drafted one in the last like six rounds. Uh, we, we need to do it. And I will say for that Gus Edwards pick, I think all too often we kind of talk ourselves into, oh, well, if this player gets hurt, then this player is going to move into a full-time role. And uh, we're thinking like, oh, if J.K. Dobbins gets hurt, well, then Gus Edwards becomes like one of the top five running backs because if you combine his efficiency with the touches, but I don't think that's the case. And I think we need to look at different teams and understand what their kind of MO is with, with how they use their running backs. And the same argument we use against J.K. Dobbins for he's just never going to become that 25-touch running back. If he got hurt, that doesn't mean Gus isn't either. You may actually even see Justice Hill move up. You may see someone else that I'm not even thinking about on the depth chart. But that team's inclination isn't to have the workhorse. So just because there's an injury doesn't mean Gus has that you know RB1 upside. Yeah, for sure. Also, ahead, my lady. absolute sick self likes Justice Hill in managed leagues in like <laughs> round 20 if you're doing a zero RB team. Justice Hill? Oh, get There's out no of one else there. He's third on the depth chart. You know, it's the same. Yeah, for now. Okay, stick to stick to the macro strategy, Leone. <laughs> the, the micro stuff might, might not be for you. Okay, 
So now we get into ourselves into a spot here. And obviously the Kirk Cousins pick is an absolute no-brainer. We only have one quarterback, and we already have Justin Jefferson and Irv Smith. Absolute no-brainer. Love that. But we get ourselves into a spot here where it's like, oh, boy, we haven't taken a wide receiver in a long time. Now we just need to start blasting off on these guys. And and my favorite one actually is Perriman, who, you know, how often can you get an actual number one wide receiver on a team in the 15th round? These other guys I'm obviously not as excited about. You get yourself into a spot here, though, Leone, where you feel compelled there's, to take a ton of wide receivers, and there's not a lot left on the board. So what do you think about how would you have changed what happened here to Funky Tom late? Well, yeah, again, I would have taken a receiver in 12, which would have made it a little bit easier. I think Shepard might be a touch early, but I don't know. Uh, Perriman seems like a great pick for him, a 15 guy with a role. Yeah. But I'm absolutely triggered. Uh, I'm assuming this was before the Julio trade, uh, but – I'm pretty triggered at Josh Reynolds over Eskridge in round 17 with the uh, rust stack setup. Mm-hmm. I don't know about you, Justin, but I feel like you know Eskridge has a really not much competition in front of him for that third wide receiver spot, uh, which can provide spike weeks. It's correlated. I, I don't know at that point when the receivers are already that thin. I feel like you got to take the triple stack there. Yeah. And I mean, the first thing that I'm doing when I'm looking at these drafts and I know I'm going to wide receiver is I'm just thinking about, okay, who are those late pieces that I want to complement with my, you know, stacks with my Kirk Cousins, with my Seattle. Um, I don't think there's anyone in Minnesota that I'm really excited about. Uh, I think that's just such a concentrated offense and, you know, like it is what it is. So I'd say just past that, but without a doubt, Dwayne Eskridge would have been on my target. Um, the second is, yeah, I'm looking here for some ups. I want upside guys. And right now, I think this person, it looks like, is almost going for more maybe upside weeks or something. Um, or at least that's how I see the Deshaun Jackson pick coming up. Because, I mean, you, we know Deshaun Jackson still has speed. Um, but I'm not looking for a guy that's going to maybe have that one or two big weeks from me across the season. I'm ready to go for the guy who's a bit more unknown. Maybe there's ambiguity in his role, but we trust his talent and can find his way into a larger role. And, you know, Leone, we've been talking about throughout this around like, okay, are these wide receivers just that bad? And uh, when I think back to drafting last year, like I wasn't excited about Claypool. I wasn't excited about Higgins. I wasn't excited mm-hmm. about Jefferson, but like, I, you know, I just didn't know. Like, I mean, most of the reports and I keep forgetting this guy, but who was the other Minnesota Viking who like going into the season was going to be the starter above BC Jefferson. Ola BC, Ola BC Johnson. Yeah, yeah, BC. There you go. BC Johnson. Um, And like, it was... You know, I was I caught myself even drafting him early on because I was like, oh well, he's going to get a starter role. But like, no, that was the horrible wrong play because we need to trust the talent aspect and accept that they may not start with they may not start with that role. But if they can find themselves into that you know kind of more core role, that's where I want to be drafting. And so in this area, I'm drafting those relatively unknowns, either the first or second year players who just didn't get that much playing time, but we think have that opportunity. So as I'm going through, I see KJ Hamler. We know he has the speed. If he can get a bit more of a role this year, and we know he kind of shined at the end of last year, that's great. Deami Brown, deep threat with Fitzpatrick. If he can become a full-time player, that's a smash slam dunk pick. Um, Tyrell Williams and Brad Perriman is probably who I would have gone with the turn here. Um, there's reports that Tyrell might actually be the number one wide receiver here. Either way, it doesn't matter. Uh, between those two guys, like someone's got to catch the passes. And so I'd say, hey, give me both of those, that 14-15, and uh, you're getting a little correlation play if Detroit's actually better than I expected. Yeah, I like Diami, and, and I know you said first or second round, but I thought Jameson Crowder at 15.7. I mean, Jameson Crowder is just like a very good NFL player who can have huge weeks. And so I, I would have gone uh, Crowder over Sterling Shep, I think, 
at 14.12. But yeah, I mean, you know, he got himself in a spot here. We had to take a lot of wide receivers. But overall, man, as we look at this team for Funky Ton, I thought he did a really, really, really good job. Um, yeah. Overall, there's really not a lot to nitpick here. I was hoping we would get a subscriber to come in here with some donkey team that we could just <laughs> tear to shreds. But overall, man, I thought he did a really, really good job from both a micro and a macro perspective, from both the player selection and the strategy perspective. I don't know, Leonie. We, 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 I mean, we may be coaching these guys uh, too well to have these these standout builds. What do you think overall? I know we need we need a donkey build. Yeah, yeah, I think overall it's a, it's a really strong build. You know, it's constructed pretty well. As you know, Justin's graphics gone, but the fact that he got such good value on those stacks is really remarkable. He had patience. He didn't reach for him. He set him up. Again, the only nitpicky thing is I would have liked to see a higher upside running back selected, and I would have liked to see him take another wide receiver in that cluster of four running backs that he took in rounds eight through 12, and then maybe taking a fifth running back late. As Justin said, you can kind of play it by ear at that point, and then the Eskridge pick. But like those are like small mistakes in the double digit rounds. They're not, you know, huge mistakes like the team that started, you know, robust RB and then still drafted David Johnson. Like what's right. David Johnson doing on that team? So sure. I, I think I'm going to give it a, I think like, like an A minus, I think like B plus A minus somewhere. No, I think, I think for sure in the A's A minus for me, I, I'll ask for your grade two Herzig. And also he ended up with two, a uh, two, five, nine, two build, two quarterbacks, five running backs, nine wide receivers, two tight ends. We we've seen, you know, the quote unquote sharps now are all in. And a lot of thanks to us, I think two, four, 10, two, I think is what a lot of people are doing now. So I'll ask Justin, is there any contrarian builds that you like, maybe some with threes in there at the onesie positions or anything like that, that you like that you've been gravitating towards. And also let's give funky ton a grade here from the reigning 2020 best ball champion. Yeah, so the way that I'm seeing it is uh, 2492 is this structure is a great structure, and then you have one extra spot to fall into. And where I've been often seeing that is falling into that fifth running back slot. And what that allows me to do is kind of wait a little more on my running backs. And we know that four running backs were so successful last year, but those four running backs weren't being drafted in this same uh, macro world we are right now where people are drafting fewer running backs. So now I'm seeing opportunities where I can draft a fifth running back in that 17th or 18th that is actually giving me values of what maybe in the previous year I'd be drafting in the kind of 13th, 14th. So I think yeah. that's a good opportunity where I'm not completely changing my structure, but in a 17th, 18th round pick, I gain a little extra value. Uh, and as for the, you know, as for the, I'd say giving him a rating, Hey, you drafted first overall. There might be a little selection bias that you gave us this draft to review because you know you did well. But like, I, I know what you're doing. I'll go B plus. Um, I would have loved to seen that Adam Thiel on the pick there. I'd love to see just a bit more of the forethought. Well, once you grab Jefferson, hey, I've got the opportunity to go with a two double stack here and roll that out. Uh, and then the second part is, as we've talked about, is when you've got McCaffrey, don't worry about floor for your other running backs. We're going for. Don't be scared of what could happen. Draft as if what might happen. Um, you know, for that possibility wise. And that's where I want upside guys. You can still grab four of them. No, no problem there. Um, but just only be thinking about home run picks. And I love Maloney's comments around the Daryl Henderson, Latavius Murray. Those are the type of home run picks that I want in those rounds. Yeah. Latavius Murray has been absolute smash. Anytime Alvin Kamara has been hurt. And I think Latavius Murray with this quarterbacks is actually going to be a nice fit for the saints as well. Could play even more. Okay. We've said it all. Funky Ton. Shout out to you. Congrats. Next time we do one of these, we're going to demand that the user sends in a non 
McCaffrey team because uh, <laughs> let's get it. We need a draft from the, from the uh, back. Yeah. Yeah. From the back. We need a draft from the back for the next one, but no shout out to funky Tong. Great job. Just cause you got the number one pick doesn't mean that you clear and can execute on it. Congrats to you. You've already won the million dollars based on our review here. No problem at all. Be sure to check out all of Leonie's stuff on ETR and Established Edge podcast. Be sure to check out all of Justin's stuff on Own the Moment and also all his best ball stuff on Establish the Run. For Leone, for producer Leone, for Herzig, I am Adam. Good luck, everybody. <laughs>